when you're young and you're an actor, I just wanted to work and I wanted to please. And then that all changed when I became a mom because all of a sudden it was like, this is what I want. And um, my family comes first. I had to start making some rules. (laughs) You know, you can be part of my life if you accept all of my life. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh co-founder of Neighbor Schools, and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with Mandy Gonzalez. She's an actress and singer best known for her leading roles on Broadway. She originated the role of Nina Rosario in the musical In the Heights. She's played Elphaba in the Broadway production of Wicked, and she's currently starring as Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. I was completely starstruck sitting down for an interview with Mandy Gonzalez after watching her star in Hamilton as Angelica Schuyler. Yet there was such an ease in our conversation. It was really mom to mom. Mandy shared something that will always stay with me and has completely reframed the way I think of self-care. She cares passionately about taking care of her family, and in order to do that well, first and foremost, she needs to take care of herself. She shared how taking care of yourself is taking care of your family because you're so important to your family. I know all moms can relate and connect to that. Mandy Gonzalez worked incredibly hard to make it to Broadway. She was thrilled that she had made it in her role as Alphaba and Wicked, but she also knew that she wanted a family too. Though many told her that she couldn't have both a career on Broadway and a family, Mandy was unwilling to compromise. She took a few years off to have her daughter, but realized that her work was equally important to her as her family. Even though Mandy previously held leading roles in The Heights, Aida, and Wicked, she faced rejection after rejection. Directors doubted she was quote-unquote ready to return to work full-time. But Mandy refused to take no for an answer, and she made opportunities for herself. Mandy is now in her fourth year starring as Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. And though she stars in eight shows a week on Broadway, Mandy still finds a way to make the juggle work for her career and her family. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on Work Like a Mother. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I know that for many people, uh, you are quite a celebrity, including for me. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little bit of background uh, of your career and and? and how you came to be where you are today. Of course. Um, I think a lot of people uh, will know me um, because I've been a working actress on Broadway for the past, gosh, 20 years, uh, which is so crazy. Um, But I've been an artist uh, here in New York. I've been working on Broadway and theater, um, television and film. I have recently, um, well, 
upcoming. I have my first novel being published in the spring of 2021. So I now add writer to to that list. I'm a mother. I um, recently uh, went through breast cancer. So I am a breast cancer thriver at this time. So I have a lot of different titles, but I, I think most people know me right now as um, a theater artist. Definitely. And mm-hmm. how has your theater journey really evolved? Is it something you knew you wanted to do from a very young age? Uh, yes, I knew I wanted to do theater. I didn't really know what that was. You know, I I really lucked out because uh, both of my parents worked full time and um, music was always a part of my upbringing. And I remember, you know, my mom was really into like the Beatles and my dad on Sundays, that was his one day off. And um, my mom was just like, I need a break. So you need to watch the kids. And my dad had gotten this laser disc player from the swap meet <laughs> laser discs. People don't know what they are. They're just these huge like records that you kind of have to put in and then turn. And he had laser disc of Elvis 69 comeback. And um, that was my, I guess that was my jam. Like I just fell in love with the music and I wanted to be Elvis, you know, Um, my dad kind of had hair like Elvis. So I was just like, Elvis is like part of our family. We watched it every Sunday. Um, And then because my my parents both worked. Uh, I was babysat by my grandmother a lot on my mom's side, mm. and she loved musical theater. I should say that um, growing up, I grew up in a culturally diverse family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father is Mexican American, and my mother is Jewish American. And so, on my mom's side is my bubby, on my dad's side is my abuelita, and so. Uh, both sides, I think um, my abuelita listened to a lot of uh, bolero singers. Like, uh, I think that that was just part of my DNA was uh, people that could um, interpret music in a way that would move people. And I, I think it just was part of me. And so I gravitated towards that. And because I spent more time with my um, with my bubby, I listened more to that music. And so, um, and my grandmother saw a talent or heard a talent in me, um, although she looked at it as like, Mandy's going to hurt herself because she sings too loud. We need to put her into <laughs> lessons. But like I said, I don't come from a showbiz family. I come from a very hardworking family. And so they were just kind of like, well, whatever. I, I don't know what to do. Like you do it. And so my bubby kind of like went and looked for things for me to, to have an outlet and uh, there was a place called the Showboat Dinner Theater, which was down the street from her house. And she would take my brother and I there. My brother and I are a year apart. My sister's six years older, so she didn't have to come to everything, but my mm-hmm. brother had to go to everything. <laughs> I really feel for him. But at the Showboat Dinner Theater, you could get all-you-can-eat pickles, and uh, you could watch a show. And I remember we saw Man of La Mancha, and the woman that played Aldonza, my grandma went up to her afterwards and was like, my granddaughter has this voice. She needs to learn how to sing and da, da, da. And I started lessons with this woman, um, Susan, and that became my first vocal teacher at seven. And she also taught me music from musical theater, which I'm so happy that I have that base um, 
of singing for what I do because it taught me a lot of things like breath support and, and things like that that I would use later on in life. But I had no, there was no roadmap for me to, um, for a Jewish Mexican American um, kid growing up, there was nobody that it was like, oh, that, that person did this. This is right. what I'm going to do. There was no, nobody to look, to look towards, you know, right. in that way. Um, and you weren't nine and had an agent who was already no, trying to help no, you navigate. No, no, I, you know, my parents were just kind of like, okay, this is going to keep her busy. And we had rules in my house, which it was, it was like, oh, no singing at the dinner table, no singing at this time, you know, because they just didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> and so they, um, but they wanted to encourage me. And so hmm. it was like, oh, let's get her a singing machine, which is now called a karaoke machine, I've been told. And, uh, we'll just have her sing at family events. So people would have me come and sing at their house and would give me toys, you know, like that was my, you know, claim to fame, like growing up. Um, but I became part of this musical group, um, theater group called uh, Rock Theater that was located in the Valley in California. And I auditioned and it was a theater uh, group that sang rock songs and theater. And so I found people in that group. Everybody was older than me, but everybody was like-minded. Everybody loved theater. And then I went, um, you know, I was always a very driven kid. I put together my own um one woman show when I was 15 at the Roosevelt Hotel. Uh, they had this little nightclub called the Cinegirl. And again, with with my bubby, like she was like, we're going to do this. I was like, OK, we had no idea, but we put it together. And I had um, a musical director, Bill Schneider, who um, was friends with my singing teacher at the time. And anyway, so when I was 15, I put the show together and then Bill Schneider and my singing teacher said, you know, there's this camp out in Florida for kids um, that can, that want to do musical theater. And uh, we think you should audition. And so I said, okay. And I had to send in a tape, you know, VHS. Mm -hmm. uh, we moved up from Laserdisc, my family. <laughs> and so we sent in my VHS tape of me tap dancing. And uh, I couldn't go. I didn't think I could go because it was expensive. And, and I ended up uh, getting a full scholarship to go to that camp. And the teachers were Gregory Hines, Treat Williams. Um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And it really changed my life because the people at that camp were so wonderful. You know, I, I still see a lot of the, the students uh, mm -hmm. now, you know, mm -hmm. working on Broadway. And it made me realize that this is what I want to do. And this is where I want to go. I want to go to New York and I want to go to Broadway. And then, um, I graduated high school. I did theater through high school and I was really afraid to go. I was afraid to leave my family. I was very close with my family, as you can tell. Yes. And, um, and so I stayed locally. I stayed and I went to school at CalArts. I went for my freshman year. But then um, at the end of my freshman year, into my sophomore year, um, my musical director, Bill Schneider, called and said, um, Bette Midler was having auditions for backup singers. Would I want to go to the open call? And I said, oh, yeah, why not? I'll go. And I got the job. And it took me away. You know, um, I, I traveled on a bus, uh, a tour bus, and I, I sang behind one of my idols, Bette Midler. And I learned so, so much. And I went away 
for my family for the first time. It was my college experience. I left college, you know, after my freshman year. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't recommend that to anybody, but it was my journey. And uh, my parents were supportive. And I went to New York for two weeks during that tour. And I was like, oh, this is where I want to be. And so I saved my money from that tour. And I moved to when I got back, I moved to Brooklyn. I moved right to uh, where I could afford uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. At that time, it was not hip or cool or anything. It was just <laughs> like, you're in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Like, um, But I moved there and I worked two jobs and I auditioned during the day. I went to open calls. I didn't have an agent. And that's really um, kind of how my life in New York began. I got my first job uh, after six months. I, I put a, a goal for myself. I said, I'm going to be on Broadway in six months. Well, I wasn't on Broadway, but I was off Broadway uh, doing a show at the Vineyard Theater. And that's really how my start began because people at Disney Theatrics came to see that show mm. and hired me um, to be a D uh, Dina Menzel standby uh, in Aida as a uh, Princess Amneris. And so from there, it just kind of kept going, you know, but that that's the journey to have gotten there, you know. Wow, what a journey. And yes, it's fascinating to hear how your family and the women in your family in particular really played this critical role in Absolutely. helping you discover your dream and, and how you could pursue it, it seems. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how um, my mom did it. You know, I have one child um, and my mom had three. Um, she worked full time. So she worked for the school district. She worked in um, as a teacher's aide, and then she worked at the front office um, until she retired just two years ago. Um, but I, I think about her, you know, on those days when I'm tired and I'm like, oh, well, my mom got up at five mm -hmm. and she had to be at work at seven. But, you know, she made sure that we all got breakfast. My dad worked the night shift. And so he would walk us to school and um and then my mom would pick us up after school at whatever time, I guess like three o'clock. And then she would take us home and and do dinner and homework and all of those things. And then on the weekend, my grandma helped, but my mom drove me to everything. You know, she did everything and uh, and still cooked and, and did all these things. I'm just kind of like, I don't know how she did it. She was very organized. <laughs> and where were you in your own career when you had your daughter? Oh, let's see. I had just finished two years of In the Heights at In the Heights. And uh, right from In the Heights, I went on to star as Elphaba in Wicked on Broadway. And I did that for a year. And I remember during In the Heights, um, you know, I had always wanted to have a family. Mm -hmm. uh, I got married when I was, I guess, 26. Um, and I had been with uh, my husband all through we met at CalArts. He, we had been together for, for a long time. And so I knew that that was a big part of my life. You know, my parents, um, I have a very solid family and uh, mm. my parents have been married for, gosh, 48 years, wow. which is insane. Um, and I, I look to them, I, I think that how important it is to mm. have um, a sense of stability and, uh, and something else in your life that's just as important, if not more. And so I I felt during In the Heights that I wanted to have a family. I remember um, my friend Andrea Burns, 
was really the first person that I was friends with that was also an actress um, that had a family, you know, that had a husband and a son. And her son, I I think when we started in the Heights, he was two. And um, now he's a senior in high school. It's so crazy. But I saw that she could do it, that she, it wasn't easy, but she, she did it. And so I remember feeling after Wicked that I really wanted to try and have a family. And um, I was very lucky and it happened really fast. <laughs> and it was like, I want to have a family. Okay, I'm having a family. And, uh, and I remember being ready to, to take a pause, you know, after working so hard um, throughout my 20s. Um, really through my whole life, you know, I really felt like I wanted to take some time um, to just be a mom and figure out what that was like. And I had saved money from those jobs that I had been working on in in order to do that. So, and my husband is an artist and he also had um, a job at that time. So I was able to kind of really take time mm-hmm. to, um, to devote to her. And I'm so glad I did, you know, and I was lucky to because um, it was such an amazing time and uh, and an incredible time, you know, as a person, but also just as a as an artist, because I felt like, you know, when you decide or you do have a child, whether it's decision or not, um, and you're a part of a business in the creative field, you have so many people that will tell you not to have a kid, you know, not that you asked for their advice, but they give that advice. Well, you, you're not, you don't, you don't want to have a kid. You don't want to get pregnant because that's going to put you out of the business. That's going to take you, you know, people are going to look at you the same and you're no Hmm. longer going to be this like ingenue or, you know, um, and I had a lot of people in my life that are no longer a part of my life because of those comments. And um, when you're young and you're an actor, you just want, at least for me, I just wanted to work and I wanted to please and I wanted to be what everybody thought I should be. And then that all changed when I became a mom because all of a sudden it was like, this is what I want. And mm-hmm. Um, my family comes first. I had to start making some rules. <laughs> mm. You know, you can be part of my life if you accept all of my life, not if you just accept the times when I'm making money for you and, and doing these things. No, like this is, I'm a whole person. And so when I took some time to to have my daughter and to, to just be with her, um, I remember feeling like this is what I want to do. And I just want to be a mom. And then all of a sudden I started to feel like there was something missing. And I felt really bad about that because I felt like, well, I have everything that I want. What, what could possibly be missing? Like what, why do I feel this way? And I remember talking to my mom about it. And I remember my mom saying, well, Mandy, you need to work. Like, that's also part of you. Hmm. And I remember feeling really bad about that. I remember feeling like, well, but yeah, I do want that. And I do want that part of my life. But how how am I going to do it? At that time, I guess I had asked the universe for to go back to work. And 
I started to go on auditions and I started to, um, to go through that, that thing. I was back on the wheel, like trying to get jobs and getting little jobs here and there, but not getting anything that really, um, you know, got me back into working all the time. And I remember going to these auditions and not having money. (laughs) So not having money for a babysitter. So I would have to take my daughter to these auditions. (laughs) And in the waiting room, I would pay a sitter for the hour that I was in that waiting room. And just feeling like, man, this is really hard, but this is what it is, you know, Um, walking up the steps um, with your stroller and your bag for your auditions and, you know, just kind of being like, okay, what is going to, what is going to work for me and allow my child to be safe at the Mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. And so that did work for me. And then I was getting a lot of questions in the room, mostly by men, um, you know, how old is your daughter now? And, you know, once you make it to a callback, I'd get those kind of questions like, well, and I I knew what they were asking me, like, are you ready Mm -hmm. to go back to work? Is it going to be hard for us? And I felt like, well, that kind of sucks, you know? And, uh, and so, but I was in that place. And so I started to, instead of getting down about not getting the work and, and feeling a negativity about it, I started to do the thing I always do, which is one foot in front of the other. And I started to create my own opportunities the same way I did when I was 15. You know, Mm -hmm. I had my, my bubby in my ear, Mm -hmm. you know, in my dreams saying, you can do it, you can do it. And I started to create concerts for myself. Um, And I didn't have money. Uh, It was the first time I ever had to borrow money from my mom. You know, I had to borrow money because I had to hire a director uh, to, direct my show. And, um, and I was able to pay her back, thank God, after all this time. But, um, you know, I, I did it and I put together a show and I put myself out there in New York and it started to take off and I started to make money doing that. And I started to travel a lot. And at the same time, I started to write, I started to write, um, children's stories, Mm. uh, I, that's what I was reading. So that's what I wanted to create and, and started to think about stories that I would have wanted to see as a kid, you know, um, that weren't out there for me. And so it made me much more creative and much less, um, uh, much less afraid to take chances because I had nothing to lose. People weren't hiring me anyway. And so, um, and so it felt really good. It felt really good to be able to get back to work. Um, my husband and I, because I live far away from my family, um, they, they're all in California. Uh, we had to do it together and we had to juggle and we had to figure out, you know, different babysitters. And that was really hard, um, in order to trust somebody to watch Mm. the most precious thing in your entire life. Um, but we did it. And, um, and then about, I guess around the time she was four, I got a call from uh, Tommy Kale uh, asking me, which you never get, uh, you know, I got calls from Tommy because we're friends, but you never get those kind of calls um, where he said, hey, do you want to come and replace um, my friend Renee Elise Goldsberry in Hamilton? I was really ready to go back to, to Broadway and go back to the grind and go back to that schedule. I was excited. And, um, I felt like my family was ready for that. And it has been such an incredible joy, 
you know, being able to share that love of what I do um, Mm. with my daughter, you know, Um, being able to take her to the theater and backstage at the theater. I mean, that's something I would have loved to do as a kid, you know, but she knows everybody. She, you know, has seen all the costumes. She's seen how, um, how the magic is made, you know, right. She sees all parts of it, the struggle and, you know, the good, the good times. You mentioned the grind of being on a show full time. What does that look like? Well, a show full time is eight shows a week and um, it just keeps going, (laughs) you know? So it is, uh, you get Mondays off, uh, two shows on Wednesday, two shows on Saturday, and then a three o'clock matinee on Sunday. And uh, so my schedule is up at 6.30, I guess, to get my daughter ready for school, um, to have coffee before I get my daughter up and ready for school. And then it was very important to me. It's the same way that, you know, I didn't get to see my dad a lot growing up. Mm. Those walks to school were very important for me with him. And so I wanted to make sure that I had that little bit of time with her um, in the mornings because then um, I would see her sometimes for pickup. Um, but if it was like a Tuesday or a Friday, but the other times, like a Wednesday, I wouldn't see her for the rest of the day mm-hmm. until the next day. So um, so that's what it looks like. And then, you know, the same thing on Saturday, you know, trying to get up early so that I could have time with her. Um, so that would be our time together. And then Sundays, I was very lucky um, to be able to once in a while bring her to the theater with me. You had a great Instagram post recently about how you're often asked this question of balancing work, life, oh, yeah. motherhood. And <laughs> oh, you said, I, because I, I couldn't agree more. I always have this visceral reaction. It sounds like, like you do as well. When people say, how do you balance? And I say that whoever came up with that term, I don't know who they For are. For a mother, it's just, you just keep going. You just do your you do your best. Some days you're just hanging on. And I think um, to be honest about motherhood and whether you are working outside of the home or inside the home, to be honest about the fact that it's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's also the most rewarding thing in the entire world, having this time to not be, you know, running into the theater during the day and during this pandemic you know, being at home is not any easier. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, um, and so I think that it's this also this thing of um, competition, I -hmm. think that we have as, um, as people to say, well, this person has it easier because or this person has the answers. And it's like, no, we don't. We're all just, we're all just trying. I'm so inspired by all of your work around empowerment and your hashtag fearless squad. How did that idea come to life? You know, when I first started in working on Broadway, people, fans would write letters to the theater. Um, It would take a time to get there. It would take time for me to write back. And then I would send them back. I'd put stamps on them. Um, and now people can connect with you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always keep my DMs open and a lot of young people write to me. And I, I noticed a lot of people writing and feeling like they didn't have a place to belong. 
they feeling lonely, that they didn't fit in in different places. And I remember feeling like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think every young person does. And so I I wanted anybody who felt that way um, that, that connected with me to feel like they did have a place. And so I created a hashtag and I put it out there and it's hashtag fearless squad. And I never expected, um, it to become as big as it's become now, you know? Um, but I have hundreds of thousands of people that are now part of my squad and, um, and we have helped each other. I would say through so many different times, I I didn't realize how much I would actually need, um, a fearless squad during different times in my life. And, um, I hope I've been as helpful to, to them as they've been to me, you know, we've gone through so much together, um, childhood cancer, um, girls that are, um, cutting themselves, different things like that. And, and not having to feel, um, those, those kids not having to feel like they're on their own. It's very important to me. And, and I hope one day it's something that will also be important to, to my daughter. And you shared how they've really been a source of strength to you as well. Mm-hmm. And you've been very open about um, your battle with breast cancer. And mm-hmm. uh, as you described earlier, a breast cancer thriver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless if you've gone through treatment, if you're going through treatment, it's always with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you've always, you know, you're either taking medicines or you're going to new doctor's appointments or things like that. So you're thriving no matter what, for anybody going through anything um, and feeling alone, the biggest thing is to feel seen. And so I think thriving makes everybody feel like they, I see you. But, um, but yeah, you know, I was diagnosed in um, October of 2019. Uh, I'm the first in my family to be diagnosed with breast cancer um, after my first, very first mammogram. I turned 40 and my doctor asked me at the time, and, you know, as with a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of moms, uh, a lot of times we put ourselves uh, last in line. And I definitely am part of that club, or at least I was. And um, it was time for my yearly, you know, doctor visit. And I was putting it off, putting it off. And my husband said, you have to put yourself first. And so I was like, oh, fine. I made the the appointment. And then I was asked the question, now that you're this age, you have the option because you don't have it in your family. So it's not, we're not that worried about it. Um, but you have the option of a mammogram. And I said, yes. And I didn't know how that would completely change my life. But I'm so, I remember finding my, my breast surgeon and sitting in her office and crying and being with my husband, because at that time it wasn't the pandemic, he mm. could be with me mm-hmm. and, um, and crying and her saying to me, aren't we lucky we found this? And I thought about it and I said, yeah, we, I, I am very, very lucky. And I think there are so many people that aren't going into those visits mm-hmm. that um, aren't putting their own self-care first. And that's why I decided after going through this, that I would become um, an advocate for uh, early detection to let people know that even though you don't have it in your family, it is something 
that does affect your family because cancer is definitely a we disease. Mm-hmm. It's um it's something that you all go through. And so putting yourself first, saying me is putting your family first. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for me to also let um, women that are Latinx, uh, women of color know that we are underrepresented in research. And so it is important for you to go and, um, and get checked out every year. You are not forgotten and um, you need to, to remember that you're so important. So it's part of this, the next part of my journey, which is so- interesting. It's so beautiful to hear you say those words around not, it's not even self-care. It's, it's taking care of yourself um, and saying how you are such an important part of your family. So you are continuing to take care of your family when you take care of yourself. Yeah. When you say that it, it not only does it make so much sense, but it's just so beautiful and it puts it in such a, a context that I think many mothers can understand because it still comes from this place of giving to others, which is what motherhood is so often about. Absolutely. While a cancer diagnosis is not a fun thing or something that you would wish anybody to have, um, getting an early diagnosis uh, establishes a much better result in the end. And I think that that's why it's just so important to me because it's something that was never talked about in my family. Uh, And as you think about all the joys and the challenges that motherhood has brought to you, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to your pre-mom self? Uh, I would give myself the advice to, to not be afraid to make mistakes that there's no such thing as perfection um, to you're going to do a great job. Mm-hmm. I would, I would give her that advice because the biggest thing you can give is love with any child. You know, I, I truly believe that, you know, you can have everything in the world and you, or you could, you know, come from nothing. And if the love is consistent, you, it's like you have everything. You know, and so I, I think that I would just remind her of that, knowing that, you know, um, but there's this person that's going to love you um, regardless, regardless of how many times you lose, you know, the keys. You're such an inspiration. You have so much wisdom to share, um, so Aww, much hope. Thank you. So thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Garsh, and this is Work Like a Mother. I'm excited to share another amazing Working Mama story with you next week. But before I go, I have a quick favor to ask. Please help us spread the word by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for more working moms to discover our show. Thanks, and have a great week.